Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 6, Episode 1 of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and joining us now is the man who picks up a bus, throws it back down as he wades through the buildings in the center of town, Bobzilla. What's happening, Bobby? <laughs> oh, no! There you go. Godzilla. Fuck, we're, are we in Tokyo, man? What are we at here? Blue Oyster well, Cult? Well, we're all over the place, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I, I'm, I'm here, man. Um, thank you for that introduction, I think. Well, I, I thought <laughs> How are you, was, Professor? I, I am okay. Uh, this time change is kind of messing with me a little bit, though, because, oh. you know, we, we pulled a bit of a stunt on everybody. I We were actually didn't record last weekend. We had one in the can. Because I took a secret trip uh, out east somewhere that we don't need to talk about. But I fucked up a couple hours doing that. Now there's been a time change. So I'm off like by four hours now, I think. I don't even know what time it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when you got on, you said, I think I'll try to figure out how this stuff works again. Yeah. So, that's anyway, like, it's been a couple of weeks since we spoke. It has. It has. How are things? Everything going okay? Yeah. Um, except for the obvious I'll bring up in just a second. Um, you know. Things like we've hit fall here, like mm-hmm. we're supposed to. Um, leaves have all changed and beautiful foliage in Kentucky. I like that. Um, you know, just uh, trying to live life, man. That's all we can do, you know. Yeah, that's pretty um, much it. Of course, you know, I, I got to say this because I actually it put me in a bummer yesterday. We lost Sean Connery this weekend, of all people. Yeah, I saw that 007, man. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing about that, I didn't realize he was 90 though. That's, oh yeah. Know. He was, he was two days older yeah. than his own birthday. Yeah. He was an yeah. old, old man. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, okay. I'm going to go ahead and bring up the obvious so we can get out yeah. of the way. Cause I told you earlier, once I get past this first part, we're going to be fine. Um, uh, you know, I, every time someone passes away in a wrestling business, um, my phone just blows up via text or, or calls or, or I get hit up on Twitter. And, uh, I had a couple of texts the other day. And, um, you know, it was in relation to, uh, the passing of Tracy's mothers. Yeah. And, uh, man, I have to tell you, it really hit me hard. You know, you get callous to these sometimes when like, I said, my phone blows up. I'm very appreciative when people take the time to text and call me and tell me these things, you know, so I do appreciate that. Um, jokingly, I want to say, you know, Hey, I'm just trying to outlive myself and a few, a few other people and myself, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I put that in my book. Um, you know, I kicked out on two. And the reason I bring it up, because I, I, I went back and I looked at what I wrote about Tracy, because I knew I'd written about him in, in my second book. But um, Tracy, you know, is just one of those great guys. Um, hey, what's your deal? What's your deal? That's what he'd always say. What's your deal? What's your deal, dude? What's your deal, man? And, um, and from the time I first got in Smoky Mountain, man, he was just one of the uh, best guys, you know, baby face over big time, but also one of the boys and would, you know, go to fight for the boys. Um he, he sparked me up to the gimmick tables, him and the you know, Rock and Roll Express, the gimmick wars. And uh, I had like 10 pictures, 15 pictures or something I'd had from up in Canada or somewhere. He said, bring them out here, bring them out here, you know, and stand by me, you know. And then I immediately come home and uh, next week or two and got photo shoots done and started getting gimmicks and stuff to catch on. But uh, Tracy, man, it's probably just not a uh, enough good stuff I could say about him. I knew he had been sick. I had actually spoken to him uh, two times um, in in you know, we announced it last November that he was, they were sick. Yeah. Um, I just, 
going to miss them because like I put in my book here, anytime uh, that, you know, the wide-eyed Southern boy came to my area, I always, you know, made sure I got down there to see him. Um, we had done several different shows together. Obviously worked in Smoky Mountain together. We worked in Cleveland All Pro Wrestling together and a, just a bunch of indies, you know, together. And um, I'm going to post a picture probably later today or tomorrow. I couldn't find the ones of just me and Tracy, but I have, or Tracy myself, I do have a picture that's in the book. Uh, my son sent me the other day. I couldn't pull it up. Maybe to talk to you about that, Jeremy. It's on an older computer to get me pictures off of there. Uh, but um, it's me and Tracy and Ricky and Robert. Uh, from 1995 and then it's 20 years later, uh, 2015. It's a really cool picture of us. And uh, like I said, the ones of Tracy and I, I, I've got them on a computer. I just need to pull them off of there, to be honest with you. Um, so we'll talk about that off air. But, uh, you know, we used to do these just independent shows and come around and personal appearances, this and that. And I'll say this, and then I'll just kind of, if you have any questions or anything, uh, uh, that I could, you know, answer about Tracy. Like I said, I, I mentioned my book. Um, it, it, the last few years, one uh, did uh, Bobby Fulton. He's another one. I always tell them I love them, or they tell me they love me, and you know, give each other a hug, whatever. Uh, at Bobby Fulton's reunion a couple years ago, you know, Tracy's like, I love you, Bobby. I love you, you know. And um, uh, just one of them guys I always did that with. I know I saw him. Uh, I think it was a year ago year ago, April, I guess it was, up to the uh, ASW show. I know I saw him up there a couple times um, over the last couple years, too. Like I said, I talked to him on the phone, and um, I knew he wasn't doing well because the first time I did talk to him, he had already started some treatment. But um, everything I had read, you know, on the Internet, I thought, well, you know, he's he's in remission or he's going to, you know, beat this thing. If anyone could beat it, Tracy Smothers can, you know, because he's just, he's just that tough of a guy and that good of an attitude, you know. Yeah. But, um uh, time waits for no man, you know, and, um, uh, you know, no one here gets out alive kind of thing. And that's why I'm just uh, making no joke about it. Just saying, you know, hey, I'm just trying to outlive a few other people and myself, you know, because uh, we just never know from day to day. As you know, sometimes we talk off air, Jeremy. I just I do some meditation. And that's the thing that kind of helps me really is just that uh, try to live in that kind of moment, you know, try to be in a moment and mm-hmm. try not to stay in the past too much and, and try not to think too far ahead overthinking things or worried about things I've, I've been known to do with my nerves and stuff. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, just the, uh, with, with this here, it just makes you appreciate the, the time you shared with that person, uh, the love of the business and the, uh, just the, com- uh, the friendships you shared and the camaraderie you shared and the, the road trips you shared and stuff like that, you know, to know that, um, I just I just get through the moment like some you almost become callous when you get that text or that call or whatever. Um, not that I'm callous, I'm just saying like oh, no, who's next, you know, kind yeah. of thing. But um, the bottom it's, line it's is, more. I think it's more. Day. I think it's more jaded than callous is what it is. Yeah. You, just, you get used to. You hit a point. Like I I've done it in my life. I have lost so many people that I get a call that somebody's dead. I get sad, but it doesn't. I, I don't get shocked anymore. You know. Yeah, that's 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 what very well said. That's me. I um, same thing when when I got the call from about text. You know, I just mm. kind of. So this whole time when I got the text the other day about uh, uh, Tracy there, I just was like, uh, I texted you, of course, and then I just went for a walk, man, and I was just like, um, just done some thinking, you know, like okay. Um, like I said, callous is probably not the right word, but um, what you said, I'm more jaded, just like, ah, fuck, because I was hurt, you know, don't get yeah. me wrong, but um, I've been kind of crazy all morning um, out here, just uh, 
because I knew we'd be talking about this first. So we wanted to get that out of the way because I want to pay respects to Tracy, the wide-eyed Southern boy. Uh, some of the funny things, too, had that god-awful dance he would do, you know, to the fans, like a, just the way he would do it was so funny, man. And uh, some of the uh, being in this area, he came to this area, my hometown area, within an hour or so, a, a lot, you know, especially when back in the smoky days and stuff. Uh, man, it just uh, always treated a fan so good and the, it just a baby face and a half, man. Um, I do know that a GoFundMe out there, um, go find it if you want to. Uh, I don't have the address in front of me. I am going to donate. Um, I hope later this evening or tomorrow, to be honest with you. I encourage you, if you don't remember, Jeremy, we, you, you and I years ago, we said, don't give till it hurts, give till it helps, you know? Yep. So, uh, I might be able to give $5 or $50. I don't know, but I'm going to try to give something, uh, for his memorial funds, you know, and I hope they do like a celebration of life and, and, and give him a good, a good, a good, uh, blessed, uh, going away, if you will, you know, uh, for the celebration of life, man, that Tracy lived and he, he lived a good full life, uh, while I was here. Hell, he wrestled a bear if I had a muzzle on it, you know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just, man, just a good old Southern boy and, uh, just a good dude, man. And, uh, I'm gonna miss him. And, uh, I know the fans will too. And, um, Anyway, that's all I really want to say about it. So thank you for letting me just voice that on the podcast. Uh, and I hope you fans understand how much respect and love I had for Tracy. Big part of my life. As I said, man, time waits for no man. And we just got to keep on yep. moving on, you know, so. Well, I want, you know, uh, you and Tracy Smothers have careers that kind of mirror each other. You're both guys that when you went to these big corporate places, you know, you just, you, you were workers and you did your job. <clears throat> but when you went to work, you know, for Indies and in the South and stuff, you got to be on top for a while. So you guys oh, yeah. have kind of careers that they kind of reflect each other. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that um, two two things have shocked me since Tracy Smothers has passed away, though. New Jack has put out a thing where he sang Tracy Smothers praises and said that was he considered him to be one of his only friends in the business. Wow. Um, and he, other stuff as well. I mean, go find it. That's, yeah. You know, you read this, you're like. Well, somebody hacked his account. There's no fucking way New Jack said this. <laughs> but also, uh, Fritz von Mulkey, that sour old bastard, had put a thing up the other day where he said there would be no fucking bad talking Tracy Smothers on his page on Twitter. So, you know, if those two guys yeah. are saying nice things, I, I, I'm shocked. I just, I don't know how, to, you know, I don't know how to put that in my head. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, uh, Tracy's just a good guy, man. He, he's one of them guys that no one really, you know, had anything bad to say about him, you know, just, just a good dude. Yeah. And he had a hot temper. I'll say that I, I was around him a lot and hell, I wrestled him as Kendo a couple of times. And the first couple of times that mask, I couldn't even see out of it. You know, it's all meshed and stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, hell, I was throwing kicks and missing him. He goes, what the hell are you doing? You know, but he calmed me right down, but I couldn't see. I was panicking almost. And then, of course, he, he was carrying a match, you know, telling me, because I'm, I'm just doing a quick deal with him, a little two-minute deal each time for TV or for promo, promo or whatever. But it's just funny shit like that, you remember, you know. Uh, but he always say it, what's your deal, man? What's your deal? Um, the first time I met Tracy, uh he do I know you? Do I know you? And, and that was the one way he would talk to to get to know some of the people, the fans. And, and you know, like do you, he made them feel comfortable. You know, but he, uh, the other thing, if something if something was going on, see, already got me laughing now. Come thinking of crazy stuff. Uh, but Tracy would always say something like, "That's what I'm screaming. That's what I'm screaming." And it could be some kind of arguing or something. And he just blended in and and, and cracked people up with him. And I could see a smile now when he'd be saying, "That's what I'm screaming," you know? <laughs> like he's taking 
taking someone's side, but they're like saying, that's what I'm talking about or, you know, whatever he would say, that's what I'm streaming. <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah. So see, you got to laugh out of me, man. That's good. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you, Tracy. There you go. How's Absolutely. That? Everybody raise a glass right. to Tracy Smothers there. There you go, man. Right. Let's see here. Yeah. Oh, we got to, we got to make a correction on something as well. Uh, when we talked about the Sheik, Bobby, we um, yes, we we kind of put our feet in our mouths, I believe. Uh, it turns out that the Sheik was trained. Yes, and um, as you mentioned earlier, this name, Bert Ruby, has come up about ten times in the last couple of weeks. I was listening to a podcast RVD on it, and I, I listened to the part where he was talking about his training. And he, he was putting over to Sheik as being his trainer, of course, him and Sabu. And he, he mentioned the name Bert Ruby. And then on this week's podcast, which we haven't even said what we're going to be talking about this week, uh, it came up in a, in, in a, in a certain uh, book, you know, yep. uh, that we'll be talking about. It came up quite a bit. So Bert Ruby um, was a promoter up in Michigan and a, um, had a territory up there, had the Michigan territory back in the day, apparently. But that's who uh, trained the Sheik, come to find out. Yeah, so uh, we, I was happy to find that out, and yeah, this is this yeah. is one of those weird things. Like, I think I may have heard the name Burt Ruby before, you know, just like heard it in yeah. passing. Yeah. But then all of a sudden we find out that that's the guy that trained the Sheik, and then all of a sudden we hear like fifteen stories in a row where Burt Ruby's part of them, and it's just <laughs> yeah. one of those yeah, just one of those weird <laughs> things that happen. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I do want to cover. Rodney over on Facebook, uh, he follows us on our group there. Uh, he said that, okay, so talking about the most brutal or gruesome matches, he said Duke Myers gigged himself so deep that the blood <laughs> soaked back into his skin in Memphis. He says he was sitting uh, at the table, I think that probably ringside, I'm guessing. It was so damn gruesome, yeah. and it was in the early 80s. They stopped the match and sent him to the hospital in an ambulance. <laughs> It was so it was so heavy that it was still purple. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, for your blood to still be that dark, that means no oxygen is getting to it as quickly as it's pumping out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty nasty. Oh, man. Well, thank you there, Rodney. Appreciate that, man. I've got one uh, from our gruesome one, too. A couple of them we'll be talking about here. Uh, shout out to uh, No Gimmick Guy. He was talking about the uh, the mankind bump off the top of the cage. He just put it over there. It was the most famous bump. And I, I'd i say it has to be probably. Probably. And you, you, we were right in that. That's the one Terry Funk did come out and check on him. He was, you know, because uh, there was other bumps throughout uh, mankind's career, you know, but that one there, you know, like you said, uh, you're friends, but you're not. You're enemies. Well, he comes out and checks on him, you know, to make yeah. sure he's okay. But um, also, if I remember correctly, they used that um, – on a, on a front end of a promo for WWE for a long time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, like, don't try this at home or whatever. Oh, I'm sure, so, yeah. so a lot of people have seen that, I'm sure, through the years. But I remember uh, when it happened, um, watching it, and it was just like, you know, good God Almighty. You know, that's just – I thought he was dead. You know, I really did. So thank you, No Gimmick Guy, for uh, bringing it up because uh, kind of just we, we appreciate you people send this kind of stuff into us kind of like we said we're going back a couple episodes and verifying a couple of things here and it it does us good because we do want to be correct in, in, in calling those things now if that said jeremy we've left a couple off here uh a couple people wrote us and um so i will be respectful um a couple of them were intentionally left off and, and the professor mm -hmm. and myself talked about that prior to going on the air so we didn't put them on there for the obvious uh 
Do you, you, should we mention it this week or not, Jeremy, or not? The, the couple of three obvious. Well, I mean, you, you can mention them. I don't know how much time I want to spend talking about them, though. How about zero time talking about okay, them? Okay, perfect. Okay. So, basically, uh, we left off draws. We left off Owen. And then I had uh, worked with and seen over in Japan how how Bushi and uh, Habashi, a fuck, I don't know, Kabashi. Anyway, he done the, um, I think he done the, uh, shit, the uh, shooting star press, I guess, and broke his neck and mm-hmm. had a very, very gruesome injury there. So uh, some of those just left off, so we wouldn't have to go into detail and talk about them, and also out of respect for, yeah, uh, the but families. people did bring up a couple of them on, on our Twitter's account. I could be found at Bobby Blaze 744 Jeremy's at the Giga Cast. And this podcast, when our dual one is at Bell to Bell Blaze, and so some people wrote that in. We wasn't, we were doing it more to be sensitive towards our family and friends and loved ones because those were very, very gruesome, and but also more severe and serious, you know, even death related. Yeah. So that's why it was left off. Um, so uh, I'll go ahead and say it. I'm gonna jump ahead real quick to kind of keep it where we're at there. I I left one off of myself. I'm just going to go jump down to that real quick. I know we're out on our notes here, just kind of so we can get off the gruesome thing here for one second. I wrestled Nikita Koloff in my hometown, Jeremy, for a fundraiser uh, for a boy that was a high school sophomore that had gotten sick. And this was way back in, um, I think, in 91 or 92, but I wrestled Nikita Koloff. And we wrestled them instead of the armory. My old uh, junior high school is right beside the National Guard Armory. The school donated their gym to us so we didn't have to have any rent, you know, because that would be more money for the fundraiser. For sure. Dude, I'm wrestling Nikita. He's off TV, you know, just doing indie stuff at this point. Like I said, it's probably – actually, it's probably 90 or 91. But um, – so I go to shoot him to a turnbuckle, knowing that a big knee's going to come when I run over him full speed. Now, a couple of my friends reminded me of this this week uh, after listening to the podcast, and they said, you list, you left off the gruesome one. And uh, so it was more of a gruesome thud than anything, and I, I, it, it hurts me to even think about it. So when you go to run at a guy, I'm, I'm going full speed. I'm young. You know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm wrestling the key to Cole off my hometown, you know, Um and he goes to throw the knee up. You're, you should. I should obviously run into his thigh or his hip area when he throws it up into my face and, and take it and protect myself. Well, by the time I guess I was on him so fast um, to the blazing speed that I had, you know, he throws his knee up, but his knee pads also slipped down. I don't know if he wore it like it all the time, but it has slipped down below his knee like Flair wore his. And my jaw, when I turn my head, hits his knee, and it's, it's, it's lucky it didn't get broken. Uh, it was a gut, and that gym had this echo. It was just, it used to be a high school gym, then it was a junior high gym, so it was years and years old, but it's had this great echo system, you know, just boom, mm-hmm. the, the, amp- the amplification of it, I guess, is. Man, my jaw hit his knee, and it just thud. So that is pretty gruesome for me. I won't say it's the worst injury I had, but uh, a couple people said, man, you didn't mention that, that you wrestling Nikita. Put yourself over your own show sometimes, Bobby. You know, and I was like, okay, I'll bring it up. So uh, not as gruesome as some of the ones that made the list, but, uh, yeah, getting getting kneed in the jaw by Nikita was no fun at all. I'll say that. Uh, good thing was I didn't take the Russian sickle, and um, oh, fuck. Uh, we, did, we did a 20-minute – uh, straight through Broadway, uh, you know, because 
just because it's a fundraiser. It's my hometown, and he was just doing any stuff at the time. And uh, we was all happy that we put together a good show for this young man and his family. So it's all all good, you know. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I was going to ask about the Russian sickle, <clears throat> but since you were telling the story about the knee, I figured you didn't take it because otherwise that would have been no. yeah that would have been a you know right there <clears throat> you know like yeah and then he tried to knock my head off so yeah. yeah. We we teased it actually, and because um, he said he wouldn't give it to me if I wasn't want to take the finish, you know. That's and I'm like, yeah, I understand, you know, <laughs> that's your finish. I get it. Yeah. But, uh, no, we teased it. He shot me in and went went for it. But I grabbed the rope and stopped, and he stood there and he did his big bow up flex, you know, and all that. And uh, people, we teased it. We teased it. So it was it was good. It was it it wasn't my greatest match, but it was a damn good match for what it was. In fact, I met a cow, good friend of mine. Uh, I didn't know this guy at the time. This uh, big guy come down to the gym a couple years later. Uh, was walking down the hallway to the gym. I just thought of this. And he goes. I hate you, man. I never even met this guy before. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but I could tell he was joking. Right. And, and I said, what? And he goes, man, you beat my favorite wrestler. And I said, what are you, ta- <laughs> what are you talking about, man? Because this is a couple years later. I was in Smoky Mountain at the time. He said, man, he goes, um, uh, his name's Robert Pritchard, okay? Just give him a big plug here. He's a good dude. But he said, you beat my favorite wrestler, Nikita Koloff. And he was like in like the eighth grade or something when that happened. <laughs> some ninth grade or something like that. He was like, you beat my favorite wrestler. So I don't know how old he is, but but I know he was in school and younger. And, and anyway, I do know, um, I think to this day, uh, Nikita Koloff's still his favorite uh, wrestler, not me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I used to, I, I actually rented spot off him. If any of the guys listening in the Ashton, area i had my training school out there at pritchard lawn care he had a big building and i, I rented a, a spot and several guys that i helped out we ran shows there out here at his lawn care building uh, several times actually but uh anyway just that's just me telling a story there and, and and getting robert over there hell he only listened to the show he's he's too busy uh with his business but uh just funny when someone comes up to you and says i hate you you don't even know him you're like what the fuck man well, i could tell though you know yeah uh, but yeah but i i, I said i didn't beat it with a draw. <laughs> oh man! So, anyway, let's move back to our list uh, that you had to. Um, you had a couple more ahead of that. I jumped down there so we can get that out of the way. Yep. Oh uh, yeah, there there are just a couple quick things. Um, yeah. One of our one of our regular listeners, Joe Lara, uh, he has started a uh, a podcast. I believe they're just hosting it on YouTube. But if you're into like metal and hard rock and that kind of stuff, go to facebook.com slash rockanon one it's the number one so like rock anon one uh but you know joe's like really into that heavy metal scene him and a bunch of friends are putting this on because you can't go to any shows right now so this is how they're getting their metal fix good luck joe thank you for listening and we wish you luck with your podcast man Mm -hmm. speaking of podcast the professor got over on one it'll be coming out this week uh, Wide Men Can't Jump podcast. They just cel- they're celebrating this week their third year anniversary show. I recorded it with them uh, earlier this week, and the professor got over, man. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but I said we have to give shout outs to uh, Nate and uh, TR and um, this other guy that's up there that worked with them. Uh, would oh it, yeah. Would that Tim, be Tim Dombrova? Tim. Would that be Tim Don- yeah, V Tim Dombrova? Yes, mention him a couple of times because of the exchange rate up there. Our right. Canadian friend Tim. <laughs> who who I, is the guy who sent us the song, the Bobby Blaze uh 
uh, song a couple months yeah. back there. Yeah. So, Tim, thank you very much. Nate, it was a pleasure uh, doing uh, the podcast the other day. Um, I hope you have uh, good ratings this week. And, uh, TR, I'll catch up with you whenever, buddy. Um, he stays very, very busy. But, yeah, they um, they love our podcast, and, and um, we're, we're friends and uh, fans of their show as well. And I'm always glad to be on there. And I, I just want the professor to know everyone put him over this week. But, uh, but we had to put Tim over this week. Um, and gladly and rightfully so. So thank you guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I, I will check it out. I'll see what they said because I know yeah. uh, I know I was just called the Futon King for like a year there. So you know. <laughs> you know what? That didn't come up though. No, it's all good, man. Yeah. Good. You know, I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I might have like let everybody down when I let on that I really didn't have a Futon. I think that might have yeah. just it killed the gimmick, man. Yeah, I'm afraid. <laughs> no more it, gimmicks to sell. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid it did. All right, so all right, we got all that out of the way. Bobby, what are we talking about this week? Man, we are talking about the Playboy Gary Hart, man. Yeah, uh, we we talked. His name came up a couple episodes back, and you were talking about him, and I knew you'd you'd uh, mentioned him several times, and it just like uh uh. uh Bell Ding went off during the podcast, said, hey, let's write that name down. We got something there, mm-hmm. you know, and we wanted to do something uh, this, you know, we'll kind of do themes and we're going to do a little top 10 of uh, top 10 reason why we love to hate Gary Hart, if you will. Uh, the uh, some of this will be based off of a professor done a lot of good research uh, and we both were uh, lucky enough to be uh, have a copy of uh, Gary Hart, My Life in Wrestling with a little help from my friends. So uh, we're going to, we got some notes from that as well, some background stuff. So uh, we hope to bring you a really, really good episode about the playboy, Gary Hart. Yep, absolutely. And as usual, this episode is brought to you by uh, a, a VPN company called private internet access. Go check them out at tinyurlcom slash blaze P I a that's Papa India alpha. Uh, so if you're looking for VPN, go use them. All right. So, Bobby, with Gary Hart, I, I think he is one of those guys who doesn't get remembered or the credit that he deserves, except by a handful of us really fanatical fans. Um, you know, because, like, down in Texas, man, this guy was a massive, not just creative force, but a, a massive villain as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and I think he probably was known worldwide. Um but he mostly stayed in, in little areas, well, huge areas, being Texas. Yeah. Just saying, um, he never went more to the Northeast Territory, I guess, what we was getting at. Uh, but he did time in, in Australia and uh, uh, um, the Carolinas and Atlanta and Florida and then over to Texas, like I said. So he did get around. Uh, but, man, I don't think he got the just due that he deserved, man. So hopefully we can do that today and, and, and tell the fans a little bit more about uh, um, Gary Hart. Gary Richard Williams was his real name, mm-hmm. but uh, Gary took the, he he said to himself, uh, Gary had four letters in it, and so did Hart. Well, he had an uncle named Buck that was a USMC during the Korean War, and uh, he served with a guy named Hart Key, and so this guy named Hart Key uh, apparently saved his uncle Buck's life, and so it really meant something to him. So Gary came up with uh, thinking that you know Gary has four letters. Hart has four letters. That sounds good. He got him a heart tattoo on his arm at the age of 16, but he was already thinking ahead of the game, too, when he was breaking in, that that would be a great name on the marquee, and he could put hearts all over his gimmick. Now, that's him as a wrestler, right, Jeremy? 
because yeah. he, he eventually has his first match May 5th, 1960 in Wisconsin against Sailor White. Um, he was known as Hurricane Hart with the blonde hair from Orlando, Florida. Uh, how do you say his trainer's name? Billy, is that Goals? Uh, how, when I was reading it, I wasn't sure. Uh, but anyway, Gary Gary used he went he went ahead and used that um, Gary the Hurricane Hart and had blonde hair when he broke in as a wrestler. Yes, uh, um, Billy G O E L Z Gullies. So I'm guessing it's either Goals or Gels, but I I have never yeah. honestly I'm usually pretty good at people's last names because mine is so fucked up. I pay a lot of attention yeah. to them. Um, I have never actually come across this last name before in my life before this week. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what we'll say goals anyway. So that's how he got to start, man. He had been doing some training, um, with, with this guy, uh, up in that area in the, in the Chicago area. And that's where we're going to go with, uh, uh, kind of just a little background there for you uh, folks that he wrestled, uh, broke in in 1960. So we're going back that far. And um, we're going to start our top ten. Is that, yes. is that right? Yes, and we are. We've got a. This is a. This is from his book. Um, I'll let the professor introduce it because I think he has some heat with what Gary was saying. <laughs> well, it's it, okay. So number ten is Gary and the Mob with a question mark. Um, mm -hmm. Now I'm in California. The Mob has never really been a presence here. There's a few rumors about the Gallows having. I got an uncle and you know, whatever. Okay. Um, but I do happen to know that in the sixties in Chicago, you didn't fucking talk about the mob. Right. And Gary opens his book with, Hey, you know, I don't want to break kayfabe five years <laughs> ago. I would never have done this, but here's all this shit I did with organized crime in Chicago in the 1960s. And I'm like, yeah, mm, no, these guys still have sons and nephews and shit running around. You don't fucking do that, right? I mean, am I wrong? Yeah, but I bought it, okay? I'm a okay. I bought it. I read it, and I was like, so, you know, he, he basically hooks up a guy that goes out and collects coins out of a machine. Uh, no harm there. Mm -hmm. The route keeps getting bigger to where people are bringing money in, and he's starting to catch on what's going on to where certain goods are coming through the back door and, or coming through the front door and going out the back door. And he starts making a little bit of money, you know, to keep hanging out this guy. Uh, and eventually, I think he even said he went to uh, one of the, the main Chicago syndicate uh, crime bosses' homes. And, and the guy that he was with kind of downplayed that, you know, he was such a big mobster and stuff. But uh, so his claim was, uh, and of course, he was making good money doing that, um, uh, just kind of hanging out with the mob, if you will. And he was eating, um, you know, at some uh, good restaurants, had a, had a uh, I guess, had a nice two-bedroom two apartment, was doing quite well for himself even before he got into the world of professional wrestling. But he was doing all that while he was training. So I kind of bought into it. But, I, but again, uh, the, the funny thing or the ironic thing is, or the irony lies in this is he says what you said. Uh, he don't want to break. He didn't want to break kayfabe. And five years prior to writing his book, he wouldn't have. But he goes in there and he talks pretty much way, way out there about the Chicago. Real, uh, real, yes, yeah, so. real loose so, about the Chicago mob. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway. <laughs> now, now that being said, I'm I'm not saying that. Look, I, there's probably a good chance that anything semi shady in the '60s in Chicago. I mean, I mean bars, restaurants. I'm assuming pro wrestling back in the day was 
pretty well tied into the mob structure as well because there's a lot of opportunities to make money on the sly. Just yeah. like how comic books, when they started off, it was heavily tied into the illegal pornography industry. You know, there's there's ways you can use it as covers. Well, I'm not saying that he had nothing to do with the mob. Yeah. But I'm saying he probably wasn't as in the know as maybe the book makes it sound. I agree. And, you know, I think you said your brother brought this up, too. And I'll say it as a as an author myself. Sometimes you have to take creative liberties. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So eh, so you got to work some things in there sometimes. But I, I, I agree with you. Um, he was he he probably knew a few people, but I don't think he was involved as much. He'd like to say. Uh, otherwise things could have been a lot worse for him, as he said, because that's what his trans, his, his, um, the transition was to the wrestling party. He was right there in that training part, started getting some matches and they even had a private party for him. Uh, the mob guys did and gave him like $900 and said, good luck, uh, in his, fir- in his first territory up in Michigan once he was leaving the Chicago area. So you really don't walk away from that, from what, from what I hear. So I don't know how big a, you know, deal he was in it either. You know, just might have been a friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. That's, that's so, kind anyway. of the way, that's kind of the way I read it. But yeah. I'm not saying he had nothing to do with it. I'm just saying the way I was reading it, I was like, okay, yeah. so, so just never break kayfabe, but fuck it. Let's talk about the mob. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't and know. I'm gonna tell you, I'm just kind of put it out there too, because of what's number nine. I'm, I'm not disputing it and saying he didn't or he did, and and Jeremy's uh, just kind of questioned. But we're, we're not really gonna question too much about Gary Hart because Gary will cut a bit. Yeah, Gary Hart <laughs> will cut nine. a bit. <laughs> so one of the things I loved was like every story in in his book. Every like every story involves somebody setting up a racer at the beginning. Like every story is like you know I was getting ready to go get Sundays for my kids and I'm setting up a razor blade and blah blah blah. Uh, he carried a razor. Yeah, he did. He carried a straight razor in his jacket pocket. Um, so apparently at some point the missing link comes up behind him and like wallops him in the head. And Gary, knowing that the missing link's a bigger guy, didn't say fuck all that first time. And then he got punched and knocked to the ground, so Gary goes for the razor and just slashes the shit out of the missing link. Jeez. Um, <sighs> now, the rumor the rumor is, or what Gary thought, Gary th- thought that Ken Mantell probably put the link up to it. Yeah. Um, and that sounds like, see, this is what I mean. Like, the wrestling was some mobster shit back then, <laughs> you know? This is what yeah. I'm saying. It's like, I don't think he wasn't involved, but I don't think he was. But wrestling yeah. itself, before it was corporate, was some fucking shady business and shit like this. Oh, you yeah. slice a dude up. Cops weren't called. <laughs> no. <laughs> HR. Yeah. HR didn't get involved. You know, <laughs> you weren't taking a week off without pay while waiting HR, for. HR, fuck the bookers want to put the guy up to hit you. <laughs> you know, who you go to? Yeah. yeah. So, so the long and the short of this one is that Gary carried a razor and you did not fuck with Gary Hart. Um, no. You know, nonetheless, he was a, he was a Chicago street boy according to his own background. Right. And right. he didn't give a fuck if you were bigger than him. He'd fucking look you right in the eye. Bobby also going along with the story you came across. Yeah. Um, uh, Bill Watts, uh, I was reading an article about him, and he, he talked about how I was just looking up some background stuff outside the, the book and, of course, doing YouTube and, 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 and uh, just, you know, Internet and stuff. But uh, Watts said that uh, he backed Abby down in the right thing, that that um, Abby was, you know, being a little bit uh, 
asshole I guess, about business, not wanting to do certain things that are right for business. And Gary come in and fired up on Abby and backed him down and apparently uh, cussed him out as he was backing him down and yelling at him. And, um, you know, they said they – you don't just don't go around cussing to Abby, you know, and put him in his place. But Gary Hart did, and Abby ended up doing the right thing. Now I don't know exactly what time period that was, but I know it was in an article I read, and and it was uh, the um, uh, Bill Watts was telling a story that that he really respected uh, uh, Gary Hart from earlier on, and that was one of the things that impressed him later on in life um, that he backed Abby down. Yeah. So I don't know if he pulled the blade out, but apparently he cussed him. And uh, of course, if he pulled the blade on Abby, Abby probably just say, "Fucking cut my head. What are you going to do?" You know. Yeah, you're just going to lose your fucking razor in this in this <laughs> scar up here. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that was just one of those things. I guess he just didn't take any shit from people, man. Um, and, yeah. And, like I said, that Chicago street background, I think, you know, some of that was you know pretty legit uh, for him to get it, to do what he did with his life, um, no matter what, you know, how a little bit maybe, you know, on the book, how, you know, he might have doctored it up a little bit or whatever. Fact is, you know, he, he, he come up and does something really good with his life. Oh, yeah. Um, in professional wrestling, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, so. you know, the thing is also, like, when we're talking about this, you know, a lot of this information we're getting from his book or from stories that were told by him in a lot right. of places. And look, we're both we're both storytellers to a certain degree. And you never let the facts get in the way of a good story. Absolutely not. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you know, it, <laughs> when you look at a story and you go, well, I can make it good or I can make it factual. Always go with good because you can deal with yeah. the facts later. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go number eight. Yeah. So WCCW, you know, world-class championship wrestling was a lot of Gary Hart back in the day. Um, during its quote unquote golden years, he was the guy, he was the booker. He was handling, uh, the TV production. He was the driving force behind like even the creation of the six man tag titles, which they used, as a way to promote one of the bigger feuds that we'll get into here in a bit. Gary was really the driving force creatively on and off screen. Yeah. Uh, He was there from like 1979 through 87, man. Yeah. With a small, uh, with a small break in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. There was a small break in there. Yep. Sure. It was. But um, yeah, he's creative force behind that, man. That's, um, that's why I would say there's some facts there. You know, we're not fabricating anything there. That's when you see the WCCW or WCCW product, Gary Hart was a big part of the brains behind that operation on the booking in and the creative end. And, um, well, like you say, you get a couple more things about that in just a second, but, uh, that's, that's pretty cool, man. That I didn't know he was that behind that much behind the scenes, which bring brought a point up to you and I, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of real briefly, Gary, you know, he, he broke in in 1960. Uh, he eventually went to Australia with um, uh, Jim, Jim Barnett. Barnett. Uh, yep, Jim Barnett. He came back from there and went to the Carolinas. And then um, I think he went to um, uh, Oklahoma for Watts and then down to Florida for Watts, which we'll get into some of that stuff he done, too, that way. Maybe why he did not work that Northeast Corridor or work for the big corporation up east is because he was doing so good out in a big state of Texas. You know what I'm saying? We kind of talked about that. That's why I was going with that. He worked in a lot of major companies, but um, when he he did Florida when it was hot, and then he got to Texas, and it became hot. And like I said, uh, that maybe even, we was talking off air, maybe even he was offered a contract or something to come in up east 
uh, and do something, but maybe it was not, they didn't want him to be Gary Hart. They maybe didn't want him to be a playboy. It might've been creative differences, whatever. I don't know that he ever got a, you know, an offer to go up there or not. Just saying, uh, he may have been like, uh, you hear him talking about how good, uh, why did Ole never, you know, leave the Atlanta or leave the Georgia area? Cause he was making so much money being right there at home. Mm-hmm. Maybe Hart never, he was probably making such good money in WCCW that he didn't have to leave home. That, that become his kind of his home, you know, yeah. uh, why the fuck do I need to go back to Atlanta again? Or why do I need to go up, uh, you know, to New York and work or wherever, uh, when I can stay right here in my home area, which Texas is a huge area. Yep. And, and that, you know, they was, they was killing it with, uh, uh, you know, for all those years, those, um, the glory years of, of WCCW. So that's my point. I went, sorry about the fucking random thought, man. I had a brain fart. Oh, there. it happens. Yeah. We, look, yeah. We, you know, we talk for two hours straight. We're going to have, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, th- that brings up two thoughts here. You're talking about how the size of the Texas market, um, you know, what we're not used to now or what we don't see now is that basically when you had a, a wrestling territory back in the day, there was wrestling seven nights a week, sometimes twice on Sundays. Yeah. Uh, and it just went a circuit. It just, you know, Monday was here, Tuesday was here. In Texas, you had, what, th- three or four offices in Texas that shared talent. Oh, so absolutely, yeah. If, yeah, so if you were wrestling in Texas at the time, you, there was work almost every day for you. You, oh, yeah, you had you had Dallas and you had Houston and you had um, uh, Amarillo. You know, you had that, at least that many. Yeah. Um, one uh, on one and a bunch of other stuff too. I'm sure. Yeah. So you know, if you if you during the time when everything was good, when everybody was getting along, which there comes a point here where Blanchard and Bosch and all these other guys start itching and going their own way, where it doesn't go so well. But when Texas was hitting on all cylinders, man, you could keep your and and WCCW did a real good job of keeping like eight to twelve guys. Yeah. And, and working the shit out of them. So you know those guys. They took their their guys were all stars because of that. They had a small crew, they worked all the time. They could send them anywhere. And Texas is such a huge area that you could even stay fresh staying in your own area. You right. Know? Yeah. Right. So that's my point too. That maybe he had opportunities otherwhere, but but otherwise he stayed where he where he was making the money, and that's a smart thing to do in that business. Oh, absolutely. And you know this makes this uh, makes me think of one other thing that. Um, in his book, he was saying that while he was booking after his kids were born, he started to look at booking differently. He'd bring a guy in, but he'd tell him, Hey, I'm only going to use you for six months. Don't bring your family down here. Don't buy a house. Or he'd tell him, Hey, I'm only going to use you for this period of time, but I'll keep you till the end of the semester. So your kids don't have to move middle of the year. Okay. And I thought that was, I thought that was really cool because a lot of, um, a lot of pro wrestling that you hear about, especially in this older time. Well, you remember that scene in Goodfellas where he's talking about, oh, your restaurant burned down. Fuck you. Pay me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's it. <laughs> Fuck you. Pay me. That's yep. it. <laughs> that was kind of that. Oh, man. All right, well, let's move on here to uh, number seven, which is his client list. I don't know that anyone had a client list like Gary Hart had, man. My goodness. Uh, he's, well, first of all, let's, let me jump back real quick. Uh, he um, started managing in the late 60s. Yep. He was tag team with Angelo Poffo. So uh, during that time, he got to also manage Angelo, and he really enjoyed it. 
He felt like uh, he was really comfortable on a microphone. He could say whatever he felt, and he that's where he really started getting into the managing part. Um, so he took Bobby, uh, Bobby Davis, I think. It was Buddy Rogers' manager that dressed real flashy and dressed real nice. Well, Gary didn't have that kind of clothes at the time, but he considered himself like a poor boy, uh, a poor man's Bobby Davis, if you will. But that's where he started managing in the late 60s. And so from there, so he had Angelo Poffo as one of his first clients, if you will, before he starts, you know, making arounds as a manager big time. The next one, the next big one was, uh, and I'm going to let Jeremy take over after I mention this one name. Uh, the next big one that he managed was uh, someone that uh, Bill Watts put him with out in Oklahoma, and that was the original spoiler, uh, yeah. uh, Dan, uh, Dan Jardine. So as Watts said, he, when he put them two together, it really popped the territory. So I'm not saying that was his first big name he had because I'm not sure if the chronological order is that. But, man, Jeremy, give us a rundown of some of these uh, guys, great talents that he had in this table. Yeah, well, obviously that'd be the spoiler, Bruiser Brody. He he came up with the idea for and executed the Great Kabuki, of which he actually ran two Great Kabuki simultaneously. Um, he, basically he said, if you saw Gary with the great Kabuki, that was the real deal. If he didn't have Gary with him, that was golden dragon or this other guy that he used. Uh, he also managed the great Muda who is a, again, every master wrestler I've ever seen. I'm pretty sure was the great Muda, um, <laughs> Terry funk, uh, Gary did go to work for the funks in Amarillo and he wanted to go as a manager, but they didn't use managers. So he had to wrestle there. Uh, Abdullah Butcher was one of the guys that he'd bring in. Rip Hawk, yep. Sweet Hansen, Missouri Mauler, Brute Bernard. You know, uh, that was just basically going up to his time in WCCW, where we haven't even gotten into his time with Turner. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, the JTEX Corp in Turner, that was like 1989. Once again, there's some familiar names. Uh, Muda, Thunk, Buzzsaw, uh, Dick Slater, and the Dragon Master. So, you know... Uh, and I, I know we've probably left someone off that list. Oh, we've uh, left tons of people off. Pack Song, uh, Dusty Rhodes. I there mean, you go. Yeah. And but, we're going to get into some of that in a few, in a few minutes, too. <laughs> yep. Get a little teasers out there, guys. Uh, well, hell, we, do we have any more people to list? Because it looks like number six, that you're, you're going somewhere with that. So use well, that as a, a segue. How's we, that? We might as well go to number six, then, shouldn't yeah. we? Yeah. Yeah. Number six is Gary and Dusty. And, of course, when I use the name Dusty, there's only one. I don't need to specify any further. We're talking about Dusty Rhodes here. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, up until the early 1970s, was a heel tag team wrestler, if you can put your head around that, Bobby. Yep. Um, and in one match, uh, another, uh, well, Gary Hart and his uh, client, Pac Song, turned yep. on and beat the living tar out of Dusty Rhodes. This is where Dusty Rhodes turns face. Yeah, 1974 in Florida, I think. Yep. And I, and I think I want to uh, correct myself, if I'm not mistaken. When you watch that footage, I might have said Eddie Graham stepped back in to help, but it was actually uh, Mike Graham uh, tried to step back in to help Dusty out with that turn when uh, Pat Song and um, uh, uh, Hart turn on him. So I think I said it was Eddie. It was actually Mike because uh, Dusty puts over Mike saying he, you know, he he puts his name in there saying you know this man's starting to show a little fire himself or something like that, you know. But what a big swerve, man, to turn Dusty babyface uh, to get him over like that. And my God, did he did Dusty get over the face or what? Oh yeah, um, I second most recognizable athlete in the world, Bobby. 
Second okay. most. Yeah. Second most. Okay. Um, so, but this leads to a thing years later. Uh, when Gary is running WCCW for Fritz, mm-hmm. um, they had dates with Harley Race set up to come in as world champion, and then something happened. Dusty got the title from Harley. Yeah. And Fritz, who... I, I guess we we have to think was trying to get his boys set up, and because he was president or about to become president of the NWA, and we have to assume that he was going to start pressuring to get David. I would guess. Yeah, I would think so. And I think he did. I think it meant he was second in charge at that time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Or big I, influence in it in his. Yeah, NWA. but but yeah, but Fritz was was a power was a power player in the NWA. Right, um, right. But because of this, Fritz told Gary that Dusty would not be coming into Texas, basically, <laughs> as world champion because he didn't want a different Texas world champion than what he was doing. And Gary, because of his relationship with Dusty, actually wouldn't tell Dusty himself. He sent the message <laughs> through, I think, through Jim Barnett or somebody, what he said, how he did it. But, okay. yeah. I just thought that was like an interesting, uh, you know, just like shit. How do you, how do you go until world NWA world champion Dusty Rhodes? Yeah, we can't use you. Yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. How, how does that phone call work? You know. Yeah. Oh hey, hey Dusty, I know you're the world champion, but yeah, fuck on off out of Dallas, man. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Okay, let's move on to number five since you already mentioned Fritz. Yep. Number five is Gary put the Von Erich boys over. Yes, he did. So, you know, a lot of people say that uh, the Von Erichs were pushed inappropriately because it was Fritz's territory. But Gary's answer to that was, then how come uh, uh, Vern Gagne's kid wasn't as big a star as the Von Erichs were? How come Mike Graham wasn't as big a star as the Von Erichs were? Um, you know, he he went out of his way to use them. As a matter of fact, according to some of the stories I heard Gary uh, tell Fritz wasn't even that sure about putting his kids over that big except Carrie. Yeah. Um, now Carrie apparently was the golden boy and you know, whatever, but outside of that, it sounded like, uh, Fritz was fighting Gary on putting his boys over. Uh, does that match what you heard? Yes, it does. But I think, uh, creative minds, you know, told, you know, got the best of let's do this and and ran with it. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm, so obviously, Gary put the Fritz, uh, Von Eric boys over, and Fritz was probably none none too happy at the beginning. But when he saw the the money, 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 mm-hmm. I'm sure he was like, yeah, my boys are money, you know, and um, was probably happy at the end. Well, glad he glad he glad, he, glad that he went with what um, pushing him. You yeah, know? Um, Gary Hart pushing him, not him pushing him right away. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, because his, his kids were young. I mean, especially at the yeah. that. What was David was 23 when he died, 24. I mean, he was young. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that happened at this point that helped push the Von Erichs over the line, well, there were two feuding guys back in the Georgia area who were kind of tired of working there, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy, who used to be part of a team <laughs> called the Fabulous Freebirds that had broken up. Yeah. Well, Gary apparently goes down there and talks uh, Michael and Bam Bam into coming to Texas. But he also dug up, uh, uh, oh, God. Buddy Jack. Buddy Jack. Yeah, Buddy Jack Roberts. 
and brought him in and reunited. Now, this is according to him. I didn't go back and double check it, but he right, reunited right. all three members of the Freebirds. And then, do we want to do we want to talk about the cage match? Oh, we're going to be passing by a couple of things. Um, if you want to move that on the list, since you're already talking about, it, that's fine with me, brother. Because yeah. everyone already knows about December of 1982, right? I, I would think so, especially in our okay. audience. Like everybody in yeah. our audience knows. We'll move it up from number two to put it in with this tied tied in right now, since we're already talking about it. Yeah, with, well, we'll uh, just we'll just kind of we'll just, we'll just kind of hit it because Gary did stuff like he put two of the Freebirds with one of the Von Erics in a tag match against some heels and and on the same card he had Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy turn on Kerry Von Erich in the title match against Ric Flair. And it started one of the biggest feuds, I'd say the feud that everybody's been chasing for 30, 40 years since, trying to recapture the magic of the Freebirds versus the Von Erichs. Yeah. And if you've ever listened, if you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast, fans. Thank you, wrestling fans, for tuning in. But as our regular listeners know, we, we've talked about that angle several, several times on several of our podcasts. And, and uh, that's just so over for our audience, I think, you know, mm-hmm. that, that we that, uh, that really caught on to the bell-to-bell Bobby Blaze and is that WCCW and then that big cage match and, and the smashing and the crashing and the, the biggest angle, for, fuck, like you said, for 33 years, going for 40 years now or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, hell yeah, man. Uh, all right, let's go to number four. We mentioned this. I think this may have been why his name came up during a podcast a few weeks back. I could be mistaken, but I know we spoke about it, and, and I think that's when the little bell went off. And that is this, man. Um, Gary uh, survived the plane crash that uh, killed Bobby Shane. Yep. And uh, it's February 20th, 1975. Uh, Hart, I think he went back and saved, uh, pulled Austin Idol out of the water and also uh, helped Buddy Colt get out of the water, right? Yes. Uh, but Buddy Colt was flying it. Uh, I found this, I found it to be interesting. That same plane uh, had just been used by Watts. He, drove, he flew it from Atlanta to Jacksonville, believe it or not. Um, I don't know all the facts of it, but it was a little article and, uh, uh, said Watts had flown that same plane from Atlanta to Jacksonville. So I'm not sure, uh, if, if who took it from Jacksonville to where, but, um, I know it was a stormy night in Tampa and they was going for the runway. They, they pulled up short of actually when they, they was going to a smaller airport, they couldn't make it to Tampa international. Anyway, um, the plane crashed into Tampa Bay, man, it killed Bobby Shane, but Hart, uh, survived it. Uh, even with a bunch of, uh, he was already injured. I think what he broke his shoulder and, and uh, leg, uh, uh, make, no shoulder and back, wasn't it? He still swam back out and got help. Uh, he, he was the first one out, and went back and helped the other two in. Yeah. And in, in his book, before he talks about the crash, because uh, he talks about the pain of that. Now, if we was talking off air, if you remember earlier in the book, he talked about when he was breaking into wrestling. Uh, he was already about six three and two thirty five, but he said that he didn't lift weights a lot, but he did do a lot of swimming and running and Hindu squats and push ups. But the the first exercise that he said he loved and enjoyed was um, and is in that first chapter was, was swimming. Yes. So here it is in, in nineteen seventy five uh, as, as a you know grown man now, and he's out. He saved you know a couple guys, and I think we brought this up that. Um, uh, he may have had, I don't know if he really talked in detail too much about, I know he talked about the injuries in the book, uh, but I think personally, he may have had a little bit of um, 
uh, survivor's guilt that he didn't save Shane. But but I you know I I don't know that. It just seemed like he he may have felt a little bit. Well, you said it before. He felt responsible. I think for for one of the Von Erichs. Uh, uh, well, it was for Gino. Yeah, for Gino. Okay, thank you. I know it's something like that. So I don't know that for sure. But I know in the, in the book it talks. He was injured and he still went back out in the water and um, saved two other human beings, you know, and survived the damn plane crash. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's why we brought his name up on the list anyway. Sorry. No, no, I'm pretty sure it is when we talked about Florida or something. Yeah. Yeah, we. That's what it was, I bet. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so he was injured, swam out, got Austin Idol, swam out again, uh, helped with uh, Buddy Colt, and then couldn't find Bobby Shane. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go and watch interviews with him about this or about Gino Hernandez's death, and he is just, he's a, he's a fucking wreck over it. Yeah. Which is and, funny when you consider, like, on screen what a fucking heel he was. Right. Yeah. Well, you said it's like looking at the devil sometimes. Yep. But, and I apologize if I said he saved Austin Idol and Bobby Shane. I meant to say he saved Austin Idol and Buddy Colt because obviously Bobby Shane passed away. So might have, might have twisted my words around there just a well. second. But, but, uh, anyway, that's, uh, hell, that, that's one tough son of a gun to, to do that, man. Um, and in the book, he does detail the injuries in a rehab. I think he even talks about the lawsuit, uh, uh, from the plane company, uh, the insurance money. Um, how much do each of them got and this and that. It's a little bit more detailed. Um, and I, do you recall that, Jeremy, or not? Um, oh, only vaguely. Um, yeah. I didn't really. I he covers it. Yeah, he does cover it, but it didn't. It's it. Th- those aren't the kind of details that would stand out in my reading. You know what I yeah. mean? It's just. And, and, and it's honestly just a real brief one. Um, yeah. In the book, so uh, and we're gonna give out some information later on about this book, by the way. So so bear with us. Let's go to number three. I kind of skipped ahead on it here. I um I said he took he was a poor man's Bobby Davis who was actually uh, uh Buddy Rogers' uh, manager. So Jeremy the professor comes up with one dapper son of a gun <laughs> the yep. way he dressed. Talk to us, professor. So there's and you can actually Google this and start looking into it. Uh there's a thing with managers. You can even see it with like Bobby Heenan. He'd wear like these shitty jumpsuits and whatnot. And it's because they know that they're going to get, you know, a beer and soda and cigarette butts and shit thrown <laughs> at them. But Gary Hart didn't care. He dressed when when he could afford it. He started wearing nice clothes. When he couldn't afford it, he wore clothes that looked like they were nice clothes. Yep. And he didn't care that he was going to catch, you know, his, his silk jacket was going to get ruined or whatever. He went with that look. <clears throat> Also, Bobby, I, I had a question here, and maybe you know, or maybe we can look into it. I believe that Bobby Davis is also the reason that Bobby Heenan was called Bobby. Oh, is that right? I think it was him, yeah. It's something we'll, we'll check okay. into, but yeah. but Bobby Davis was apparently the one of the quintessential original early, like, this is what a wrestling manager should be. Okay, cool. So Bobby Heenan got the name Bobby from that. I think and so. And if you're yeah. out there and you know it, send it in to us. Uh, once again, uh, on Twitter at the Bell to Bell Blaze uh, or at the Professor at uh, the Geekish Cast or myself at Bobby Blaze 744 and um, let us know because, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're not – we go back and try to correct anything we catch or we learn something new. So if you know that about Heenan, a little trivia question there, maybe trivia question of the week, uh, where did Bobby Heenan get his name? Might have been from this Bobby Davis. Let yes. us know. Yep. As far as I, as far as I remember off the top of my head, 
that's that's the case. Now maybe somebody who's out there towards where did Bobby start? Did he start in Michigan? Um, but uh, somebody over Indiana. that Indiana. Indiana, that's it. Yeah. yeah, somebody over in that market, maybe they know a little bit better. But um, yeah, so Gary Hart would dress nice. He tried to look nice. Now, one of the things I loved about uh, one of the stories that he was doing is that Gary Hart used to have bleach blonde hair, and he, in a match with uh, Gino Hernandez, I can't remember who it was against, but it was a loser gets their head shaved. Gary Hart had been worrying about losing his hair because he'd been noticing it disappear. And every time he was on camera, he said all he could watch was all the thin spots on the top of his head. So he used his balding (laughs) as a story (laughs) angle. So he comes out and he goes, I'm so confident that Gino's going to win that if he doesn't, you can shave my head. Well, (laughs) Gino lost and Gary Hart got his head shaved and he stayed bald ever since that moment. Okay. Uh, I, th- I thought that was a great story. Um, you know, the, the one of the other ones I wanted wanted to cover, and I don't know where else we would fit this. So I'll, I'll put it in here. Yeah. I, I don't remember what market it was, but somebody hired him and then told him that his character was gay, Gary Hart. Yeah, that's what you were telling me. And so Gary Hart's like, you know, and I'm sure growing up in Chicago, he probably knew a handful of guys that were gay who, you know, just that was some shit you didn't talk about and moved on from. So he's right, like, I, right. I don't want to. I don't want to make fun of gay people. I don't want to, you know, do that kind of character. So he talked, God, I don't remember who it was. It was Paul Bosch or whoever it was, but he talked him into letting him come out and give a rose to the ugliest woman in the crowd every night. And so when he'd come to the ring, he'd come out and give a rose to whatever, you know, the heaviest woman he saw or the least attractive woman and give a rose saying that he was giving a flower to the most beautiful woman in all of Texas. (laughs) <laughs> so it oh, actually man. yeah so it actually pulled him back from the gay character into just a fucking heat magnet yeah and i can't see him doing that anyway you know I, that just doesn't fit his character one bit i just can't you know can't see it as far as that being and you know it's kind of let's just jump ahead here let's yeah. put this at number two what we've been talking about a booking genius yes obviously he knew hey look whoever this was he's talked to and he's where are you gonna be gay you know gary hart and he's like eh, no i'm not you know but I've got a better idea. So uh, that just goes with his creative mind, some of the stuff we've already talked about. Uh, but we'll go ahead and uh, uh, dig into this. We've talked about the Freebird feud. We've talked about Phantom title changes, making world class bigger than what it even seemed. We took uh, talked about him taking, he could take credit for the big dusty turning baby face in Florida. And also go right there, Jeremy, and tell me a little bit about what the next thing is. Well, uh, I put down here, he managed Gino Hernandez and yeah. Chris Adams. Okay. Um, I, would, I know you want to talk about this. Yeah, well, I would say, you know, because Chris Adams started as a babyface, and then he turned on the Von Erichs. Now, one of the things that World Class, I would say, did better than anybody were betrayal storylines. Because they'd get a fucking crowd worked up over somebody turning on them. And, and yes. number one, I'm actually going to specifically deal with one, but... Um, when he managed Gino and Chris Adams as a team together, they were just fucking despicable. I mean, <laughs> you, I mean, you fucking hated them, you know. You wanted to throw yeah. shit at the screen when they showed up because they'd drive a nice car, have hot chicks with them, spread money around, wearing great clothes. This was all Gary Hart that did this, you know. This was all Gary coming up with this yeah. shit, you know. Um, he was just like so, you know. Somehow in wrestling, because people are involved, egos get involved. And you got guys like Abby and whoever, they just, they have a no job clause. I will not lose. 
you know, yeah. just period. That's going to, so Gary would have these situations where somebody wanted somebody else to go over, but he's like, we'll say, uh, Carrie, we'll, we'll use Carrie Von Eric or David Von Eric. We'll just throw a name in. Okay. So Paul Bosch is like, well, fuck him. I want him to lose to a jobber. Cause I'm still mad at Fritz from that shit 10 years ago when he stole part of the territory from me. And Gary's like, okay, so I'm pushing these guys big all over the state and I don't, I don't want that shit happening. So Gary had come up with this idea where, all right, so I'm going to let him go over, but he's going to fuck him, and that's how he gets the win. And then I'm <laughs> going to go in, and I'm going to let him get me in a claw, and I'm going to razor blade myself so it looks like the fucking Von Erichs are just beating the shit out of me for having just fucked him on this match. He would do stuff like that. It would keep everybody happy. Yeah. The guys yeah. look strong. The winner, the winner still won according to how the, the promoter wanted it, but the guy who right. lost still got to look strong at the end of it. <clears throat> Gary got to take a licking because he just didn't give a shit. He was just there to tell a good story yeah. and put money in his pocket. So Gary, when except for some of the stories he tells, but it seems like he his ego did not get in the way of him putting on a good show and booking good programs. Yeah, I agree with you. And leaving the, what it was, that, that last impression, even though the person, say, from the Houston office that went over on a Von Erich, say, whatever, there's heart in there and getting, like you said, the claw, gigging, whatever, and, and that's the last thing that people say see. So, therefore, a Von Erich stays strong, too. So that's yeah. just good booking genius, like you put it there, man, just a booking genius. Uh we mentioned before just that creative focus he must have had, you know, to uh, to come up from that early on in that book when he had said like uh, he was just always thinking about things and and uh, knew what to say on a microphone. He never felt intimidated when when a microphone was handed to him or he took the microphone. Yeah, that was just something natural that happened early on in his career and it just continued to, to you know. But he was always thinking about the business. He said, you know, just thinking ahead. This this is what a work. Like you said, he come up like uh, helping with the six man tags and mixing and matching guys together, getting the freebirds together to come back with you know the. Uh, like you said, uh, the Bon Erics and things like that. So just creative genius is all it is, man. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, the creation of the six-man title there. Uh, he yeah. Needed, he needed a way to keep all six of those guys on a single story. And so he's like, all right, well, let's come up with a title for them specifically to feud over. I mean, just we'll put that together. Because, right. you know, and a, lot of these, a lot of younger people now won't remember when a title storyline could run a year and a half, two years. <laughs> one guy chasing the belt could go for 12, 16 months without a problem. Yeah. yeah. We talked about that early on, about 12 to 18 months, about just chasing that title, chasing that title until you got that big payoff, man. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's no different than um, – I don't think the wrestling fans, they get, get, get that much from – a title change every other pay-per-view or what have you, but also when all of a sudden they just drop, and I'm not bringing up any specific thing that's happened recently or anything, I'm just saying, for example, there's a cage match. Well, we have three cage matches, and there's a lumberjack match. Well, lumberjacks are to keep people in the ring, you know, all these different things. All of a sudden it's like, why did you even have the lumberjack match, or why did you have the cage match? There was build-up to all these angles, you know, so yep. that's why you could take it for 12 months, 18 months, like you said, two years of a feud there, but each match, there was different stipulation or whatever to keep the interest there. There was a legitimate reason to have that lumberjack match or a legitimate reason to have that cage match, you know, as we've talked about before. So I, I don't know uh, if you're younger. Um, I really appreciate 
appreciate you listening to the program. But if you're you, you like um, the old school wrestling, go if you know what I'm talking about, go back and watch how they build it up over the course of that time. It just didn't change every week when you tuned in. Well, we're going to have a strap match this week, or we're the, the new champion is. That was the thing. Like uh, the great thing about uh, when we was talking about like Florida. Uh, championship wrestling florida georgia wrestling we was talking about uh when they drop in on a saturday night and have footage we actually had a title change in tampa florida over the past weekend and it'll give you a bit of the footage you know that's the great thing about it so that build up man and again that takes uh uh creative booking seeing into the future being able to know okay this is what's going to draw and this is how you draw it out and the boys working together saying you know i'm not going to get you next week but on the air saying yeah. I'll get you next week, but that next week is next month, and that next month is 12 months, and then there's the big payoff, and then, you know, that's – yeah, hell. There's my rant. <laughs> no, I, I think that's – I could listen to you all day, Professor. I really could. Well, um, I think I think that's perfectly legitimate. You know, um, recently, and I think I sent you links to it, I went back and found some uh, old episodes of Roy Shire's wrestling uh, from San Francisco in the late yes, 70s. Yes, you did. Thank you. And I noticed something that they would do. So, like, say, um, you know, this guy comes in from Hawaii, and he's looking for a title shot against Harley Race, okay? Well, Harley, fuck, man, he's out in Kansas or Florida. or He's not in San Francisco, okay? And he ain't going to be in San Francisco for another 10, 12 months. But this guy will come in, and he'll have a video package from Harley that Harley sent him to they used to work these angles as creatively as they could. You know, they couldn't get yeah. the champ out there. Well, okay, but I can get a video from the champ and we'll act like it was yeah. something he sent to the wrestler to piss him off. They had ways to work these things and hold it and keep going. And it was just amazing. Yeah. If you, and I'm sure our fans do listen to a uh, uh, big fans of the Ron Fuller podcast, uh, the stud cast, you know, he, he talks about that too, where uh, I just listened here recently to two of his biggest episodes was uh, him getting a world title against Terry Funk. And they, they, they called bicycling. They sent it on the, the Greyhound bus and stuff, but they would, they would send that, that tape ahead, you know, that loop. But uh, Funk was sending stuff from Amarillo, Dory and Terry both was, uh, were both sending, uh, you know, the video packages to Knoxville. For, for Ron, you know, mm-hmm. and then they put it into their shows. So that's so cool how they was thinking, man. You know, that's that's the whole thing. They was thinking, uh, we got to make money, and here's here, excuse me, here's how we make money. And so he put the video package together. So like you said, to change it back to your side of the story, Harley's going to be there eventually, like you said, to San Francisco, and you got that guy built up, and they're still doing a feud halfway across the damn country each and every week, you know. Yeah. So... That was a hell of a thing. Good stuff, Professor. Good oh, yeah. Stuff. Well, and there was a thing, too, that I noticed in in Gary Hart's book. Um, their show, their world-class show, um, 7500 bucks. That was their production cost per week. Mm. And that covered their camera guys, their their on-screen talent. Um, now, I realize that that's 7500 1980s dollars and yeah. not today, but still, you what does it cost to put on an episode of Raw? Jeez, I don't know. Yeah, and and remember, the guys in Texas got paid based on what came through the door that night. Yep. You know, and 
that's I mean that's how they got paid. And you know you you were the one that smartened me up to like the eight man show. How do you how do you yeah. run a show with eight guys? And that's when I realized, well, shit, that's what they were doing in Texas that whole time. That's right. Rip Rogers smartened me up to him and Bobby Fulton because Bobby Bobby run those shows with eight eight or nine men on it, and Rip would say, "Man, you got that from Dallas, you know that." And I was like, "No." And so Rip smartened me. Uh, he was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Got there, and had the captains match, and so there'd be me and Bobby in the first match, you know. Then I'd, I'd screw him some way because I was a heel there, and that set up, you know, a tag match for later on. Then Bobby would do the the, uh, the Ninja Turtle or uh, uh, whoever, you know, whatever gimmick he was doing that night. And uh, I was doing Bad Street under a full, you know, body hood and stuff like that. It's just you, you do it, man. And you keep a small crew and uh, just more money for you, you know, especially the, the pr- promoter and, and, and for the office, you know. So anyway, so Jeremy, I'm just going to throw this out there because we know what number one is. Yeah. Uh, before we get to number one, because I, I, there's not going to be a whole lot we really need to say about number one that we haven't already spoken about, but um, I'm just going to throw this out there. We're talking a lot about this book, uh, Gary Hart, My Life in Wrestling, um, with a little help from my friends. Uh, I'll just say Jeremy and I lucked into a copy uh, of it, PDF file. I'll leave it at that. But uh, I come across something and um, uh, Professor and I was speaking. I've re- I read the book a while back. I read several chapters this week and skimmed through it. But um, I found out there's an easier way to to read this book if you cannot get a copy. Because I think it's damn near impossible to get a copy if I'm not mistaken. But um, if you, I found it. I was got in a rabbit hole on YouTube the other night. I was looking for Gary Hart stuff. It looped around. It took me through. I don't know. I mean, I might have been on Bobby Heenan and stuff. Anyway, it all came back to all of a sudden it popped up. Gary Hart's book. If you're interested in reading this book, it's available on YouTube as an audio book. Is yes. that how the best way to tell you that, Professor? Uh, that is an audio book being read, right? Yeah. That it's you know, okay. it's a static picture with like um what equalizer or something over the top of it, but it is a um, robo voiced, which actually isn't bad besides a few weird pronunciation kinks that happen. It is a artificially voiced reading of the book and it's actually pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah. So we're lucky enough to have a copy of it. Uh, but if you'd like to, uh, fact check us or read this book, we know we've got a lot of educated, uh, wrestling fans in our audience out there. And that, that's just one way. I'm not even sure what the link is. I just know it's Gary Hart's book and I typed it. I found it yesterday really quick or Friday, I guess it was, and sent it to the professor by text. I said, here's the first chapter. Um, and if I can do it, by God, anyone can do it. I'll tell you that, uh, real quickly, Jeremy, before we end with number one, uh, Speaking of books, my books help sponsor the show. Uh, Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boost Will Travel. That's my first book. Professor put a link out there. TinyRL.com, Blaze Book One. The show gets a little bit of kickback from that, and we appreciate it. Uh, the book I was talking about, I mentioned Tracy Smothers in earlier at the top of the hour. I kicked out on two, The Educational Wrestler. That book is available at tinyurl.com backslash blazebook2. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say about the two books because we got a couple more things we'll finish up with. But I'm going to let Jeremy take this to number one, then we'll finish it. How's that? Yeah. You know, and real quick here, I think if you go onto YouTube and you put in Pro Wrestle Machine Gary Hart, you'll okay. find it. I'm pretty sure you'll find it that way. Pro Wrestling Machine Gary Hart. Just Pro Wrestle Machine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So number one, and I, I got to preface <laughs> this a little tiny bit here. So 
<clears throat> I did not grow up amongst the Southern Protestant kind of version of Christianity. My family was Catholic. Most people I knew were Catholic. Um, so I didn't really get a sense of what Southern preachers were like until I saw Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Von Erich telling Chris Adams to turn his back on Gary Hart and all will be forgiven. <laughs> there is a moment in the ring where, where uh, Kevin Von Erich is just reaching out to Chris Adams, come back, come be friends with us again, come back to our side, come back to the light. And, and Gary Hart was the fucking devil in WCCW. <laughs> When, when you really look at how all of this was structured, Gary Hart spent week after week trying to hire somebody to fucking kill those Von Erics once and for all. <laughs> God damn it, I'm going to get you guys. And the reason I'm laughing is because I'm surprised we haven't done Gary Hart sooner because at some time way back in probably season one, the professor was talking. This is We just developed this friendship through the years, you know, and through this podcast, and, and we'll say something, to, you know, to get the other one and, and – like, oh, I didn't know that or this and that. And I didn't realize, you know, because you're just, you're, we're just getting ideas and throwing, you know, putting the shows together. And stuff. I, Jeremy uh, was a big fan of that WCCW and knew so much more, but he just come out with, I don't even know what podcast is what, early in, you know, season one or two. And Jeremy just thought, it goes, uh, that Gary Hart, he's a devil. <laughs> and I start cracking up, man. And so uh, every system, so when I saw number one, I just have to agree with you, man. He's a devil, man, because like you said, he, he, he was going to screw them boys every week, you know, and, uh, just, uh, when you looked into his eyes and he drew you in, man, and, mm -hmm. and he was that evilness and, and, and there's, like you said, uh, uh all will be forgiven. Yep. Well, Gary Hart, he'd, he'd come in and he'd get in your ear and he'd tell you lies and give you promises and, hey, oh, just just join with us. And, you know, those fucking Von Erics, man, they're keeping you down, okay? You come with us. You'll be Texas heavyweight champion in two weeks. You'll have chicks and money and cars and all this cool shit. You see those glasses Gino Hernandez is wearing? You'll have glasses just like that. Oh, you see man. Farrah Fawcett hanging on his arm? I'll find you a chick hotter than Farrah Fawcett hanging off your arm. But you got to help us. I want you to break that fucking chair and jam it right in Kevin Von Erich's eye right here in the middle of the goddamn ring because I hate those fucking Von Erich's. That's, that's kind of, you know, my impression uh, of Gary Hart. That's great. That's great. Man. That's great. Well, I hope everyone's enjoyed our top ten, man. We told you where you can find the book. And, of course, you can go to YouTube and find just about anything now, damn days. Uh, our top ten, real brief, we're running back down. Number ten was The Mob. Number nine, Gary will cut a bitch. Uh, number eight, WCCW was a lot of Gary. Uh, number seven, his client list. Uh, number six was Gary and Dusty. Number seven was Gary put the bonnet boys over <laughs> by sticking a spike in her or a stake in her eye. I don't know what. Uh, he swam to save, uh, try to save the lives of uh, some, while he was injured himself, he did save some lives uh, in Tampa Bay. And that, uh, number three, one, one dapper son of a gun. I'm, I'm laughing, man. Number two, booking genius. Number one, cause I just, Gary, Gary Hart was a devil. <laughs> <laughs> Professor, thank you for this great list, man. And thanks for a great podcast this week. Oh, man, I appreciate it. 
Oh, this uh, was this was a fun one. I, I am glad we did this. Uh, one of the things I wanted to share real quick was I, I did find a video on YouTube, and it was Everybody Shoots on Gary Hart, right? Okay. And there was one, it was New Jack, and he was talking about it. He goes, Gary was a smooth motherfucker. He goes, you take your blind black grandma, put her chair near the TV, and Gary Hart's on there talking. She'll be like, who is that smooth black man on TV? <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good man that's oh pretty good. that made me laugh yes. yeah yeah for sure for sure well um anything for wrap up because you know i'm just gonna say man just people out there keep on hanging on man let's have hope in the future i think by the time this comes out you'll still be listening to it on election day if that's the case and your ass is up at 6 a.m. in your area and you have not voted yet get out and vote on november 3rd election day please vote Thank you. Yep, it is your civic duty to vote. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, you know, Bobby, I, I had to buy some new masks. My, my job put in a new rule. You cannot leave your desk without wearing a mask now. Okay. So I bought a whole pack of Lone Ranger masks. <laughs> I'm just going to claim I was confused. <laughs> oh, man. For uh, Dick Johnson and uh, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, I'm Bobby Blaze. Thank you for tuning in this week. Have a great week, wrestling fans.